and welcome to another exciting episode of You Heard It Here First, the show that helps you discover the best that Audible has to offer. I'm Imriel Morgan, and I'm back with more great recommendations for you to enjoy. In today's episode, I'm shouting about a fiction book that's all about stigma and secrecy, and I dive into a series of short stories to try and sharpen up the Spanish skills I learnt in episode four. Then, later in the show, we're joined by two guests from Audible with some seriously good non-fiction to share, and we'll hear from one of you in our listeners' corner. So settle in and get ready to find your next fave. We're starting things today with a review from one of you. I've searched Audible's website to see what you think about some of our amazing books, podcasts, or plays. This week's featured customer review comes from Mr. K. Lee for Crashed by Adam Tooze. Here's what he thought. Brilliant historical and economic analysis of the 2008 crash. This is a seminal piece of work that brings together the political, historical and economic threads of an event that shaped the world. The author has thoroughly researched the background events leading to the crisis. Unsurprisingly, the bankers do not come out of the narrative with any glory. But they were not and are still not the only problem. Nationalism at the centre of Europe in the form of German domestic fiscal policy supported by French self-interest are revealed as major impediments to European recovery and, possibly going forward, the fracture of Europe. Listen and make your own mind up. This is well worth listening to. If you fancy finding out more about what happened in the last financial crisis, you can download Crashed by Adam Tooze from Audible Now. And next, it's time to hear about today's featured new release. This is a new book that I think you'll enjoy and be desperate to tell all your friends about. The book I have chosen is Homestretch by Graham Norton. Many of you will know Graham as a TV personality famous for programs like The Graham Norton Show and also his hilarious commentary of Eurovision. But he's also an established writer. This is his third novel and also follows two memoirs by him, but it's the first of his work that I've read. Homestretch follows the story of Connor, a young teenage boy who's held responsible for a tragic car accident in his hometown in Ireland. Three people are killed, including a couple who are due to get married the next day, and one passenger is paralysed for life. In the aftermath, Connor is practically exiled by his community, and despite his parents' concern, he leaves Ireland under a cloud of shame. From there, the story of Connor and his family unfolds through the years, as Connor remains estranged. First, he heads to Liverpool, but after a disaster, he runs to London and finally to New York. Here's the moment his family realise they've lost him. There was some discussion about codes, and then Dan carefully dialed the number. It's ringing informed everyone. Hello. Hello, yes. I wanted to speak to Connor Hayes, please. The person on the other end was speaking. Dan furrowed his brow. When? A short pause while the question was answered. Well, have you a number for him? A forwarding address? Chrissy had begun to whimper by her husband's side. Dan was very still. All right. Well, if he calls, tell him his family want to speak with him. He nodded his head. And to you, goodbye. Very slowly, he replaced the receiver. 
No one spoke for a moment. Chrissy already had tears in her eyes. Dan spoke softly. He's not there. The fella on the phone says he's moved out. Where? Where has he gone? asked his wife with an edge of hysteria in her voice. They don't know. Ellen's grandfather, still sitting at the table nursing his port, called out, He'll be down the pub. He's a young lad. The pubs are open in England. They said he'd gone, moved. Dan barked at his father. Now Chrissy was sobbing in his arms. Oh, Dan, where is he? What's happened? Very sad indeed. What's compelling about this book are the slow reveals and mini plot twists that pop up along the way. For example, and I don't think this is a spoiler, we learn fairly early on that Connor is gay and in the closet. This is key to his character's identity and shapes many of his decisions and also some of his frustrating inaction. Over time, it builds to a lovely crescendo at the end. The character I connected to the most, though, was Connor's sister, Ellen. She doesn't have much of a story at the start of the book, but as it goes on, it begins to take shape. She is stuck in a loveless marriage and feels trapped for much of the book. I felt truly ecstatic for her when she gets her second wind later in the story. Graham narrates the entire book and I found him to be warm and charming. You can tell he knows each character intimately and so each one feels distinct and appropriate for their time. He gives every accent a really good go and most of them work. What I will say though is that his voices for the female characters are hilarious and slightly hard to take seriously, especially Connor's mum. You may think I've been a little bit vague on the plot of the story, but that's because I really don't want to give anything away. The way it develops is great and there are some really unpredictable moments in there that I don't want to spoil. Overall, I think this book is a fantastic listen. I found myself thirsty for it in my downtime. I often just sat on my sofa in the evenings to listen to it in place of watching telly and that is a credit to Graham's writing and delivery of the story. So that's Homestretch by Graham Norton. You can find it on Audible. Welcome to our Hidden Gems section of the show. Yes, that's right. I've delved into the Audible archives to find a brilliant audiobook you may have missed. And this week, I've chosen Spanish Short Stories for Beginners by Lingo Mastery, narrated by Jesse Fister and Nicolas Villanueva. I picked this book because, as you may recall from episode four, I started learning Spanish with Paul Noble. It felt important to carry on with my language learning journey by leveling up to listening to short stories to improve my Spanish comprehension skills. The book starts off with a fairly standard introduction, which includes a breakdown of the structure. This is useful as you aren't dropped into the story right away. The book is fairly straightforward. There are 20 short stories in total. You start with a story in Spanish, followed by a Spanish summary and an English summary. You then get a rather lengthy vocabulary chapter with translations, followed by questions about what you've heard. Now, I can't lie, I felt a tad underprepared for these short stories upon listening at first. I had to slow my speed down to less than one, more than once just to follow along. I found that my vocabulary retention was quite good and I knew what loads of words were, but assembling them in time to understand each story was definitely a challenge. For example, the second tale was about a trip to the beach and a girl being caught in the waves. Here's a clip. Ana es una joven aventurera quien planea irse de paseo a la playa con un grupo de personas. 
Robert y Daniel son sus guías turísticos, quienes presentan al diverso grupo y les dan las instrucciones a seguir durante su estadía. Otra joven del grupo, Annika, es peligrosamente arrastrada hacia un área profunda por una corriente submarina, sin darse cuenta, y comienza a ahogarse. Daniel se lanza al agua para socorrerla, mientras Robert lo ayuda, desde la orilla. Después de rescatarla, ella recupera la conciencia, haciendo reflexionar a todos. Summary of the story. Anna is a young adventuress who plans to go on a trip to the beach with a group of people. Robert and Daniel are their tour guides who introduce the diverse group and give them the instructions to follow during their stay. Another girl in the group, Annika, is dangerously dragged into a deep area by an underwater current without realizing it and begins to drown. Daniel jumps into the water to help her, while Robert assists him from the shore. After rescuing her, she regains consciousness, making everyone reflect on the importance of safety. I was able to understand that there was a group trip to a beach on an island, but completely missed the whole rescue plot. This obviously isn't the book's fault. I just need to keep practicing and concentrate on the words which I found challenging. I suspect this would be good as a regular book to read and follow. I found myself getting distracted and browsing through some of the stories because I didn't understand them. However, I did appreciate the summaries in Spanish as they felt easy to follow. The questions are also a brilliant addition and made me feel pretty good about what I was able to pick up. The one thing I didn't appreciate were the vocabulary chapters, which are not that interesting to listen to and last about 20 minutes. I found it a tad tedious and not conducive to learning, so skipped over them. That said, I can see this being a useful resource in my language learning journey, and I look forward to revisiting this and coming away with a better understanding each time. Like what you've heard? You can find Spanish short stories for beginners by Lingo Mastery on the Audible website or app. And on You Heard It Here First, I'm not the only one who'll be recommending you some audio goodness. Joining me every week in the studio will be two guests who want to shout about something they love. First up today is a brand new guest on the show, Steve Melia. Hi, Steve. Hi, Imriel. Can you start by telling me a little bit about what you do at Audible? Sure. So I produce videos at Audible, and that usually means working with authors and narrators to create something that um, around the podcast and audiobooks that are coming out. Awesome. And can you tell us what you've chosen today? I've picked The Secret Lives of Colour by Cassia Sinclair. Why have you chosen that? Well, this audio version came out around about the start of lockdown, and I think it's been a really good one to have around for these last few months. What's it about exactly? So I think it started out as a column in an interior design magazine and each week Cassia Sinclair would pull apart one colour and its role in history or art or science. And this book is a collection of 70 odd colours and their stories. Nice. Do you have a favourite colour? Oh, it would probably be... Well, it's probably one for the names. I like the names of the colours that they have in there as much as the colour. So something like Dragon's Blood. Ooh, what the hell is that? It's made out of a tree resin. And uh, I think there's lots of kind of mythical stories attached to it around dragons. That sounds cool. What did you love about this book in particular, do you think? 
Well, what I thought was really great about it was that each chapter is one colour and is usually around five minutes or so. And during these last months, I haven't really had the opportunity for long listens on the way to work or long journey going mm. somewhere. So these kind of 10, 15 minute stretches to the shops has been um, yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very true. In terms of the stories, as you mentioned, each chapter is a different colour or like the origins of different colours. What was your favourite story in the book? There's a really funny chapter on beige and I think um, she's pretty scathing about it <laughs> and um, very funny as well. So that's probably one of the funniest chapters in it, even if I'm not mad keen on the colour. Fair enough. Did you find that with a book about colour and listening to a book about colour that you were able to picture the colours? Like, Did you know what she was talking about as she was describing them? Because I think I struggled with that a bit personally. Yeah, that's a good point, because the print edition has these really nice dyes along the margin so you can see what colour they're talking about. There is a PDF that goes with the audiobook, so you can look up what colour Dragon's Blood is or you can see what colour Heliotrope is as you go along. But yeah, it does mean you have to take it out of the story a little bit. Yeah, fair enough. I really struggled because I think colour, especially when we're talking about it in art and in design terms, it does get really obscure. Like, I'm really curious as to how people name colours. I think it's such a cool job. And so, like, trying to describe a colour and what I found really interesting was in the beginning when she's just like, like the ancient Greeks used to only, like, see things basically as black and white or dark and light. Um, and then only in, like, recent times do we have, like, the word for blue or shades of blue. And that was really, really interesting because... I was just like, wait, so people just like obviously saw in colour, but didn't like have words for colours. How intriguing. Did you find that interesting? Yeah, definitely. And and the lengths that people had to go to to get colours as well, yeah. you know, was astonishing. You know, the, the difficulty just to get a, a bright blue would have been so expensive and such hard work. Yeah, it was intense. It's quite it's quite fascinating in that sense. I really like the story about the Vanta Black. It's like one of my favourite colour stories in the world. What did you make of it? Well, Vanta Black is a super black, the blackest black, and it makes other blacks not look very black. And it's quite a new colour, I think. I think it was only invented a few years ago. Yeah. And I quite like the way that the book comes right up to date by bringing that in towards the end. And um, it caused all kinds of controversies. Yeah, let's hear a clip. When news broke that Anish Kapoor, the British sculptor responsible for the mirrored cloud gate in Chicago, had brokered an exclusive deal with nanosystems, many of his contemporaries were scandalised. Although it's not the first time that artists have trademarked a colour, Yves Klein famously trademarked his blue, or had an exclusive deal with manufacturers, there was something special about this black. All the best artists have had a thing for pure black, Christian Fur, a portrait painter, was quoted as saying at the time. This black is like dynamite in the art world. We should be able to use it. It isn't right that it belongs to one man. Stuart Semple, another British artist, either in a fit of pique or sensing a commercial opportunity, created a range of rival pigments. Small jars of the world's pinkest pink, most glittery glitter, and the glowiest glow were made available on his website in return for a small fee and the signing of a legal document confirming that the paint will not make its way into the hands of Anish Kapoor. Kapoor, seemingly caught up in the puerile madness of the whole affair, promptly posted a picture on Instagram of his middle finger defiantly dipped in the pinkest pink. Up yours, hashtag pink 
The caption read. I love that story because it's so petty. Um, <laughs> it's just like the ult- it's like the pettiest story in the world. Um, and I think that's just really funny. I'm curious to know why you think other people should listen to this book. I think uh, it's great for lockdown. I think there's something quite relaxing about hearing all those stories about colour. And I think there's funny bits to it as well. Mm. Brilliant. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Imriel. Nice chatting. You too. The Secret Life of Colour by Cassia St. Clair was Steve's pick of the week. Cassia says her obsession with colour was inspired by the fanciful descriptions found researching a dissertation on 18th century masquerade costumes at Oxford. Download the book and maybe you'll find yourself just as intrigued too. And hoping to equally impress us with their pick is Robin Morgan Bentley. Hello, Robin. Hi, Emril. Can you tell us what you've chosen for us today? I've picked something pretty grim, if I'm being honest, but I'm going to go for it anyway. It's called Killing for Company. I guess it's a biography of Dennis Nilsson, who was a horrific serial killer in the UK a few decades ago. Uh, Why have you chosen that? (laughs) It's an interesting one. So there was an ITV series called Des starring David Mm. Tennant. Uh, I don't know if people watched it. And then as it was going on, they were talking about how a lot of the crimes took place on Melrose Avenue. And I turned to my husband and I was like, isn't the street behind us called Melrose Avenue? Um, And then I looked it up on Google and it turns out that indeed all of the things (laughs) happened basically on the other side of our back garden. So, um, so yeah, that really piqued my interest even more. I'm a, I'm a bit of a true crime aficionado anyway, but then to realise that it was so, so close to home might have put someone off, but you know, it made me more interested. So I listened to the audiobook. That's actually unbelievable. As if you live like basically next door to the House of Horrors. <laughs> right. <That's hilarious. laughs> Um, what can you tell us about the author? Do you know much about him? So it's a guy called Brian Masters who basically formed a friendship with Dennis Nielsen while he was in prison. So obviously at the time when these crimes happened, it, there was a lot in the press. It was a horrific series of crimes. Lots of people were talking about it. It was all over the newspapers. And he went to prison. And um, it's not a spoiler to say that Dennis was very open about his crimes, as in he pleaded guilty straight away, he went to prison. And then this guy, Brian, had the idea of telling his story and over the series of a few years, went to meet him in prison and interviewed him. But what's most interesting, I think, is the relationship between the two of them, because this man is, there's no other way to say it, in my view, evil. He is someone who's done the most horrific thing to many people. And yet when you listen to this biography, you get the sense that Brian is looking past that. And at the very beginning, in fact, he even says, I don't like the word evil. It's too simplistic. Let's not call him evil. Let's try and understand him. So I was interested in then how you could put, how you could spend time with someone like that and put those thoughts and, you know, the horrific crimes aside. Yeah, that is really interesting. And one that's not afforded to the victims, I guess, in many ways. What I actually don't even know what to say because I found that I was a bit speechless by the whole thing um, when I started listening to the book. I was just like, this is really, 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 really grim stuff, like stomach-turning details. And yet everyone's just like, yeah, but he's a really nice guy. Um, and that's quite disconcerting. 
Did you experience that as well? Yeah, I totally agree. I think there's something really scary about how ordinary he seemed. Mm. He had a very, you know, I don't know what a normal job is, but he had, I think he worked for the civil service. He seemed like a pretty standard guy and yeah he's he's really reasonable in in the interviews and relatively friendly and totally honest and it's almost like like he wanted to be caught or he was relieved that it was finally over but there's just something so amicable about him and yeah it's, that's a really a really strange experience it's not what you expect yeah completely agree was there any moment in particular that you completely just froze and was like what the hell am I listening to right now I think hearing the detail towards the beginning of the book about um well about why the police first came um is 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 really shocking um particularly to think that well it's all about body remains being found in the drains and then I couldn't help but think are they actually the same drains (laughs) that uh are linked to my very own flat because we're on the on the road behind but just yeah the detail about what he did with the bodies um, after killing them is quite something. Yeah, let's hear a clip actually. And just to warn you, some of this is a little graphic, so if that's not your thing, you might want to skip ahead. Before he left, Catron took both Alcock and Nielsen to look once more at the blockage down the manhole, shining his torch and commenting that it looked like flesh. Nielsen went upstairs to his flat and pondered. At midnight, he came down again, removed the manhole cover, and climbed down to the debris, carrying a torch and carrier bag. I cleared the particles of white flesh and dumped them over the back garden hedge, he later wrote. I had planned to go to the supermarket, or Kentucky Fried Chicken, and purchase a few pounds weight of chicken pieces. These I would soak cut up into similar chunks as that removed, being careful to leave easily identifiable wingtips and drumsticks. Any close examination in the morning would reveal in the open stretch of pipe an ordinary shattering of the imagination. The police and Dynarod would lose interest. The Dynarod man would not wish to appear foolish when the police were called again. I could see this plan easily succeeding. Do you know what it made me think of when they describe in quite vivid detail about the boiling of the head? Yeah. And I was just like, I don't understand. Why is he boiling someone's head? And it's just said so matter-of-factly. It's like actually surreal. It's a very surreal story. Right. It is. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a crazy thing to do, obviously. In the TV series, there, there's a pretty shocking visualization of that. But yeah, it's it's not just, um, you know, he's killing, but he's torturing them. And he's also delighting almost in the in the, in the company. The, the title of the book is Killing for Company. Um, and I guess that's an allusion to the fact that once he'd killed these men, he would still spend time with them. So he'd have them up sitting with him on the sofa watching television. It's just, it's it's too bizarre to get your head around. It. And it's quite nice in a world where we are now, where things are pretty challenging with COVID and everything, to listen to a story that's even more unbelievable, even harder to get your head around. I guess there's something in that. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Given that it's such an intense book, why should people listen to it? 
Well, I think look, the TV series did really well. I read something about the viewing figures being you know, very, very high and a particularly well-performing uh, TV series. So I think if you've liked the TV series and you just want to hear more detail, um, it's a good place to go. It's narrated by Jason Watkins, who plays the character of the biographer in the TV programme. So it, it has an authenticity and a continuity, I think, with the TV series that's quite pleasing. Awesome. Thanks so much, Robin. Thank you. Really great to chat to you. For a deep dive into the life of Des Nielsen, check out Killing for Company by Brian Masters on Audible. Hey there, don't leave until you've subscribed. And next, it's time to shine a light on another amazing offering from Audible as we showcase Audible Sessions. Audible Sessions is another podcast from the Audible team where they bring in some of your favourite authors to talk about their new releases and exciting new projects. This week, it's a clip from Leila Saad's Audible session. Leila Saad is a writer, speaker and podcast host. She launched an Instagram challenge called Me and White Supremacy, which has now been turned into a book of the same name. She spoke to Holly Newson about the book, Personal Boundaries and what white supremacy is. I think for most people, um, their understanding of white supremacy is that it belongs to a very uh, small group of fringe individuals who are intentionally purposefully hateful towards people of color. And so it doesn't really apply to anyone else. What I'm trying to do with this book is help people understand it's not about whether you're actually choosing it or not. White supremacy is a system, it's an institution, it's a paradigm, and it's based on this idea that people who are white or who look white are superior to people of other races, and that that has consequences. It's had consequences throughout history, enslavement, colonization, genocide, land theft, racial uh, discrimination, through laws and that it didn't go away just because laws changed. It didn't go away because history changed. We're still experiencing it today. And so what this book is trying to accomplish is to help people to understand it's in the way that you were raised. It's in the way that you were conditioned in society. It's the air that we're breathing. It's the sea that we're swimming in. It's everywhere. This was an interesting discussion because white supremacy is such a loaded term and Holly does a really great job of asking Layla about some of the aversions that people have when listening to it. And I think her explanation of what it is is really, really useful and why a lot of you should probably be listening to this Audible session. Not only because it's super informative, but because Layla is an excellent speaker and she is just super smart and definitely worth listening to. If you want to find out more about Leila Saad's Instagram challenge and book, Me and White Supremacy, you can listen to her full Audible session now. And then you can take the challenge yourself by downloading the book from Audible. And finally today, it's time to take a trip to our listeners' corner. I'm really enjoying hearing about the books, podcasts and dramas that you love, so please keep sending them my way. This week, our Listener's Corner review comes from Richard. Let's hear what he had to say. Hi, I'm Richard from Sunny Margate, and I would like to recommend 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea by the fantastic Tony Lee and, of course, Jules Verne. Now, this is a retelling, a condensed telling of the classic tale, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Wonderful performances, fabulous storytelling. I really enjoyed this. It's given me a real thirst to go back and revisit those classic Verne books. A wonderful listen for anyone. Blumenek, that sounds fantastic. Thanks, Richard, for your honest review of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea by Tony Lee and Jules Verne. 
Remember, this is your chance to get your favorite audio recommended on You Heard It Here First. Send us a short message telling us all about a book, podcast, or drama you love for your chance to win two credits from Audible, just like Richard has. All you need to do is record a voice note on your phone and email it over to us on yhihf at audible.co.uk or you can send us an email and we'll read it out. But remember, keep your reviews spoiler free. And sadly, that's all for this week's You Heard It Here First. It's time to go and find your next favourite listen on the Audible website or app. And don't forget to leave us a review as well. In case you missed any of the titles we featured today, here they are again. Crashed by Adam Toots. Homestretch by Graham Norton. Spanish short stories for beginners by Lingo Mastery narrated by Jesse Fister and Nicholas Villanueva. The Secret Life of Colour by Cassia St. Clair. Killing for Company by Brian Masters. Leila Saad's Audible Session. And our listener's corner was 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea by Tony Lee and Jules Verne. You've been listening to You Heard It Here First, an Audible original produced by Content is Queen, presented by me, Imriel Morgan, additional voices by Richard Hodson, and featuring Steve Melia and Robin Morgan Bentley. It was produced by Ellie Clifford. Original music was by Seth Bradford. For Audible, the executive producer was Holly Newsom. The production executive was Hayley Nathan. And the commissioning editor was Kent DePinto. Pinto.